Live from the studios here in Omaha, Nebraska. It's time once again for another edition of The Other Kind Radio. I don't know why I'm trying to get cute there. Stick to the script. Talk radio, also known as talk radio. The Other Kind. See, The Other Kind. T-O-K. Talk radio. The Other Kind. That was the height of my intelligence back in the early aughts. A little behind the scenes there for The Other Kind Radio listener. But welcome to everybody. Today is episode 63. Todd will fill us in on the significance of 63 here shortly. And it's written down, so I have to read it. Today is August 88, 2019. I bet you didn't even know there were 88 days in August. They're not. Um, it's actually September 8th, 2019. Uh, that's how good of a producer I am, folks. Uh, hello, returning kind listeners. Thank you for sharing your valuable time and uh, with us, valuable free time with us. Um, maybe uh, maybe you're kind of like Chef Jeff, who is a uh, kind listener. He always listens in his car on the, on the way to work. Uh, or maybe you're like Beaker, who uh, actually lives inside his own private wood workshop where he puts on his own podcast, and I don't have the name of it, and does wood stuff. All right. Well, anyway, the important thing is that you are here and we are so glad you are. First time listeners are congratulated for finding the podcast uh, amongst the plethora of other podcasts. I'm sure they're thoroughly confused right now, but things will come into focus here shortly, folks. Uh, We welcome you, new kind listener, to the Other Kind Radio podcast, where we try to keep you, the listener, filled with fresh podcast produce about pop culture. As always, we encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe to the show. We're uh, on Google Play. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on a a lot of the carriers. So if you're catching this, um, I don't know, uh, a signal in space or whatnot, and you actually like listening on iHeart, well, we're available there for you. But the important thing is to like, subscribe, rate if you'd like. Uh, because by doing so, you're helping us feed the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. Enough of me. Let's bring on my podcast partner. See, no longer co-host. You are my podcast partner. That is, I feel politically correct. And for those of you that have an opinion, please feel free to email us. Our email address is info at theotherkindradio.com. Anyway, this gentleman is a family generator, movie maker, guitar and drum player, book author, dive bar boombox founder, and all-around renaissance man, live from his studio somewhere near but not in or located specifically around the town of Dallas. Please welcome to Uh, First off, note to Todd, ramp up microphone before you begin uh, speaking. But I'm curious, you you asked for solicitations of emails after you declared me a partner, no longer a co-host. Are you asking the kind listener to come and go, no, Todd should just be co-host and not partner no i was just i was i was proud of myself that i was like you know what i did co-host is so i love it i I, i'm flattered podcast partner 
I'm pretty sure we're going to get emails going, yeah, don't make him a partner. Just don't do it. Oh, yeah. Well, you've already been a partner of mine for a long time, but but we digress. <laughs> it's just going to be a love fest today. Right, right. Everybody's like, no, 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 stop, no, stop. No, oh, how come my sounder's no, not working? No, no. Oh. Oh, because I recorded it. Oh, no, they're gone. No, no. Oh, boy. What well, we that? just had a major meltdown. I was going to play the, the buzz sound, but uh, I seem to have uh, recorded over somehow. So now I just have no <laughs> me saying no. So <laughs> That is better. That's so much better. Uh, by the way, kind of listeners, welcome to Todd and Jeff do podcasting. Right. This is not an instructional manual. It's simply comedy. The first in a, a series of 80 podcast on what not to do when making a podcast. It's actually kind of funny because we've been off for a couple weeks, um, partly due to work and, and, and personal and everything else, but mainly as some of you may have heard in a little drop that happened uh, a week ago, um, we got Todd and I, we <laughs> kind of a big deal now. Got to visit the planet Tram with Commander Arf because uh, he's a fan and he wanted us to do podcasts, which was kind of awkward because he teleported us there. And then he was like, you know, in his voice, he's like, do podcast. And we were like looking for mics and stuff. So, I mean, it's like when people find out you do stand up comedy or can play guitar, they're like, I'll play a song now. You know, and you're like, well, do you have a guitar? And like, no. So then you're kind of painted into a corner. You know, it was really cool for me, Jeff. I know you're teleported, but, you know, for those of us that weren't Star Trek fans, what I found out is that they actually come to get you in the manner of which you are most acclimated. And being a fan of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I got to relive my whole Richard Dreyfus fantasy of walking on the ship at the end and looking up at stars and suddenly I was there. Oh, is that the, was that it? I was there with you, you know? So our experiences are different, but we didn't end up in exactly the same place. Oh, uh, mine was, I just, I felt like I needed to pee really bad. <laughs> well, that's kind of always, isn't it? And then you're right. And then all of a sudden I'm like standing there and I'm looking at you and, but you know, Hey, everybody on SRAM was nice. Uh, they're big fans. Mostly, mostly. Uh, we'll have some merch out available. So, um, and they don't know a lot about pop culture. So <laughs> we seemed pretty smart. It was, it was cool. You know, to them, pop culture might be a venereal disease. And that was kind of the cool part of it. We had to explain to them that it wasn't. I think I got the pop culture. <laughs> I get a shot to be fine. Uh, sometimes when you're a pop culture fanatic, it does feel like a, uh, a, a little. <laughs> right. Because random people go, well, you you know about pop culture. You, what happened on episode four of Drive? And you're like, I don't know. I haven't seen it. You? You haven't seen Drive? Oh, God. That okay. is probably my least favorite thing in the world. What? You haven't watched that yet? Right. Okay, well, Jesus, I'm watching everything else. I'm sorry I didn't get to that one. You are ahead of me here. When did you get to talk to Jesus? Every day. Oh, nice. Okay, Jesus. well. I mean, we are lock and step. I, I just call him G. 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 Yeah. And send all religious complaints to info at the other kind radio.com. <laughs> all right. So Todd and I obviously haven't talked uh, to each other in a couple of weeks. So this is why we are both a in, in high spirits and uh, also uh, giddy because, you know, um, I've probably had three cups of coffee. Um, I need a third and important, <laughs> an important, if you need to go get one, I can vamp. No, um, that'd take way too long. Okay. Uh, important to know Todd is working on a different laptop. Uh, so for the audio files out there, AKA beaker, that's why his voice sounds a little different. Um, we have a ton to talk about today. There's a ton of stuff going on. Uh, we're going to try and hit all the notes 
And yes, we're going to miss a few. Uh, I can't even read what I wrote 15 minutes ago, much less hit every, excuse me, pardon me. Um, hold on here. I got to hit the mute button. Okay. Um, was that a personal moment or I did your body have an issue? I thought I was feeling like I had to pee again and I was afraid that I was, <laughs> <laughs> was it the warm wetness spreading across your lap. That was the warning. Or? I just, yeah. I thought maybe I was getting teleported back to SRAM. I was like, okay, wait, what's that? <laughs> so we have a, a ton of things to talk about, but we're not gonna be able to hit all of them. So we're going to try and hit the biggest notes. Um, as I said, Todd, and I've been traveling. I've been both in uh, Philadelphia since we last had a show, had my first train ride from Philly to New York, which was interesting. And then I was just in San Francisco go yesterday. So we're going to try and hit all of this and um, we'll promise we'll have our, our ducks a little better aligned next week. So center stage this week, we're going to talk about a Netflix show um, that Todd and I have both seen all the episodes of. It was highly recommended by uh, Chris, a uh, buddy of mine. We call him Tree. And he was like, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then I finally watched it. And wow, I was uh, uh, it definitely caught my attention. And that is the Netflix special called Mind Hunters. But before we get to that, we have a number of other things to talk about. The, the first of which, and these are in no particular order. Um, let's talk about Joker. It's obviously dropped its trailer. Um. I have mixed feelings about this movie. I, I think you do as well, Todd. Um, however, just this morning, um, it was shown at some film festival. I'm sure Todd knows a lot more about than I do. And it won like a golden pickle or something like that. And once again, reductionist Jeff comes in with the golden pickle, but I actually, it's golden cucumber. Oh, okay. Um, so Todd Phillips is the director of this Todd Phillips being the director of the hangover. So he has the chops to do something good, but then you also have to take into account. He also made hangover two and three, which <laughs> pretty much prove he has no chops at all. However, this is he and Joaquin Phoenix doing a take on the classic comic book character, the Joker, Batman's classic villain. They wanted, he wanted to set it years before Batman becomes Batman. And, and if you're a fan of all, at all of Batman, you know that the, the comics have intentionally told numerous origin stories. And even Chris Nolan's Dark Knight kind of alluded to that type of thing because every time when you watch with Heath Ledger, someone asks him, why do you have those scars? And he tells a different story every time. Mm. So the idea to pinpoint the Joker to one origin is probably never going to be this is the definitive one but it, it happens time and time again so in this one they are actually aping a bit on martin scorsese's classic film king of comedy starring robert de niro and jerry lewis which is a truly underappreciated classic if you've never watched it go watch it this film apes on it to the extent that robert de niro even plays a johnny carson type character who eventually has the joker on his show when this first was announced, I was rather skeptical. I thought, I don't know that we really need a Joker standalone. Right. But the more it went along and the more that I saw with the trailers, I thought, okay, this might be something special. Then we began to hear out of some of the festival circuits that people were overwhelmed by it. Joaquin Phoenix is sure an Oscar nom, if not the, the award itself type of talk. Mm. Comes the infamous, we're at the Venice Film Festival, and here it comes. There's an eight minute standing ovation. Now, that is a long standing tradition at film festivals that, you know, especially when films are premiered, that they'll do that. 
I am skeptical to the point because you never know if those, some of those people aren't plants cheering it on, you know, right. But studio trying to push it and push it and push it. Eight minutes is obscenely stupid to stand for standing ovation for a film. If you're, if you're there with a performer and it's a magic moment, then I never fault anyone for that ovation going and going. This is silly, but it did get that. And the early marks were good. And then Jeff this morning tells me that it has won the golden cucumber. (laughs) <laughs> which is also the golden lion golden but, lion yeah yeah you know, for us it's the golden pickle cucumber yeah, that's more fun to play with yes so does that put it on the map for awards yeah that's exactly what a film wants is mm. to have a film festival cred that they can now say hey we won over here um you're coming at the end of the summer season you're heading into the fall season which is award season movie so it's a little early for that right i i have a feeling that you could be looking at one of the more respected comic book films to come out in a while now. And, and I'm promising right. I'm going to turn this back to you in, in a second, Jeff, from trying to. No, no, re- keep going. There are some, you know, anytime you get this uproarious applause for something, you're going to have the voices of dissent. And those began to come out last week with some saying, you know, it's a very violent tell. And they said in this day and age, when we've got people running and grabbing guns and hurting people, is it really the right one to do? Because you sympathize with the villain. And I think sympathizing with the villain is a very interesting thing to make an audience do. We are uncomfortable with it by that. That's why to an extent we love Hannibal Lecter because we, we feel like we, he's a good guy and it's okay if he ate my liver with, you know, right. Beans. That's an interesting take. And I understand the voices of dissent. It'll be interesting in 20 years when, when that conversation has at least found its place right. to say, okay, well now we can look and just say it's a great movie. Right. But I'm, I, I'll tell you, I'm very intrigued by this movie. So uh, first thing we did is a disservice to the kind listener that we will uh, apologize for is we didn't tell the significance of 63. Do you still have that tab up? I do. We will digress <laughs> over real quick. And sure. here it comes. The number 63 symbolizes humanitarianism, harmony, balance, tolerism, idealism, and family. Okay. Being blend of the numbers nine, six, and three, this number signifies uh, philanthropy, optimism, and healing. It's also a number that symbolizes family, compassion, creativity, and self-expression. The sad note is it's also the year that John F. Kennedy was shot. Oh, okay. Well, and, yeah. And for a bit of trivia, my birthday is 11-22, the day he was shot. So I have always had a little bit of JFK's death over shrouding over my birthday. And there's your show. <laughs> and seen and seen just like just like last week um okay so thank you for so we'll get back on track um thank you for that uh so joker i'm having the same feelings as you uh i mean obviously i've got strong emotional ties to heath ledger's uh, portrayal of the joker i think it was done and some of this uh for being something new is starting to trace Right. Because that's when you couldn't draw, you would trace his tracing some things that Heath Ledger brought to it. And and I understand the Joker is a character who's going to have a, a similar face. But even Jack Nicholson's um, Joker was, while still a, a caricature, still was different and presented differently. So I to me, and this is just the way I feel, I, I just feel like uh, I'm going to be torn about how, how much of it seems to me that is an original interpretation of the Joker and how much of it I think is going to be tracing the outlines of what Heath Ledger did groundbreaking, you know, uh, work with in, in, in establishing a character that sometimes I'll just go back and watch the opening scene 
from from uh, what is it, Batman Returns or Batman and the Joker or Batman Party Down? What's the name of that movie? Of uh, Dark Knight or Dark Knight? Yes, <laughs> Batman with Nicholson. You you've mentioned so many thumbs. I'm like, what? The Where one, are we? The, the one that had Heath Ledger. The Dark Knight. Okay, so I, I'm to me that's what I'm apprehensive about. You know, I want to I want to have a clear understanding that this isn't something that's just piggy, piggybacking off of a, some um, an air image or a character that I already have in my head. I, I think you're going to feel pretty good about that. I really don't see that that's what they're doing. I thought that what Nolan did brilliantly was not to worry about creating the Joker character. He already existed in the world. Um, we didn't have to show his origin. I think this is truly going to be an origin story. And this is not the first time that a DC property has not looked at the Joker as a former failed comic who simply wants to be seen and starts, you know, and it, and it has mental issues and begins going down that hellhole of trying to find the place to fit in and, yeah. and never feeling okay and putting on the makeup. I, I love the, the makeup is very different than anything we've seen before. It's truly a clown. I kind of dig it. Okay. So I don't, I don't think you're going to see the ledger thing. I think you'll be okay. I do understand the fatigue of, Hey, we just got this few years ago. Am I ready for, Hey, I want a new one and I'm going to move past Heath ledger. I yeah. get that argument. Yeah. Um, is this a, you're going to catch it? It comes out, the release date uh, for the U.S. is uh, October 4th. Is this going to be a, a must-see, and then we'll cover pretty quick. What is that? Is that a, that's a, oh, it's obviously a Thursday. That's when they release. So as of early as October 8th, we should be we should be talking about it, right? Uh, without question. I I'll, I may not even wait to take my wife and daughter. I may go see it in a midnight screening. I, I love Batman. I love the Joker. I want to see this film. Whether I love it or hate it, I want to see it. Isn't that a Kenny, Kenny Rogers song? It was. And, you know, every once in a while, while I'm going along, I reference the great marginal pop country songwriters in my my speech. So thank you. You know, you picked, picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. So speaking of country music, uh, uh, Sweet Catherine came up with a what I think is a genius uh, band name that we'll just we'll throw out to the kind listener. So if you are a kind listener and you are thinking of starting a country band and you have all the elements put together except for the name um hugs and shrugs i just i think that's that's uh, a great one hugs and shrugs there's some i can see it in so many different fonts uh, i can't hear the music but i can see the font and uh, but i have your first hit for you it's called bumpin buns and i mean it just it just it just drips off you know kz 105 modern country that was i can't even say it that was hugs and shrugs with their song bumping buns now here's I, kenny i can see the uh picture of the two people one is truly got his arms yes like shrug, right <laughs> the other's more like open it's a literal interpretation they're kind of back to back as that they're opposing forces they could be the same person with split personality and then the next 2021 Joker two hugs and shrugs. Um, <laughs> wow. That was a segue if there's ever been one. Yeah, that's horrible. Uh, yeah. So we'll make sure we, uh, we check out Joker. We invite uh, the kind of listener to do so, and then let us know your thoughts or even send us an email, what your pre thoughts are um, to what that film's going to bring. Uh, this brings us off to probably the next uh, biggest thing that just popped into my head. 
which is, uh, uh, I think it's been a week and a half or so ago that Star Wars D23 trailer came out. And of course, I'm getting old and I'm, and I'm, I'm losing my geekiness on that. I, first of all, the trailer was good, packed full of cuts and everything else. And we, we Todd and I are still going to have trailer talk, uh, a full show dedicated to it. So let me let me ask my podcast partner. Um, first of all, what did you think of the, uh, the, the trailer? And secondly, why didn't they just say Star Star Wars new movie trailer. Why is it Star Wars D23? I'm going to start there. So D23, Disney has their own Comic-Con, if you will, their own, Hey, these are all our properties. We're going to, and it's a big promotion type thing. And of course, Star Wars is going to be, you know, center stage of that. That's where we got the news. Finally, that, uh, Ewan McGregor is officially Obi-Wan Kenobi again. You get those kind of things. That's also why with this trailer, it's a little bit of a different cut trailer. It's got, I I don't have it in front of me with the stats. I'd say the first half of it are building cuts of all the films preceding it, sort of showing you the folklore. And it, while you sit there and go, okay, why I love star Wars, but why am I seeing this? Well, what it tells you is, Hey, this is the end of this entire saga. And so it builds us up and it gives us maybe what about 45 seconds, one minute of new footage. Yeah, I thought it was exactly what it was meant to be. It's a rah-rah thing for Disney. Hey, we own Star Wars by way we paid $4 billion for it and we're making $433 trillion <laughs> off of it. And, you know, it, and it gives, it gives big moments. And at the very end of it, we see that Ray, the central female protagonist, has a dark side moment, which, you know, that... Uh, so I'm out with some friends when that comes out. And one of my buddies who who likes movies too watches it. And he's like, what do you think? Is she going to go to the dark side? I'm like, no, that's gotta yeah. be a dream or a vision. <laughs> they wouldn't tell you if she's going to go to the dark side in the damn trailer. Yeah. That, that if, if she did it, that is very, you know, like, <laughs> don't come to the theaters. You already know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was great. I thought there was some fun stuff. It looks like, you know, JJ Abrams has a great visual sense. I I'm not surprised by that. I still think his open to the reboot of Star Trek when we have a young, uh, I almost said Kurt Cobain, a young <laughs> Captain Kirk. It's okay, Jeff. Um, and, and kind listener, I know you're concerned right now. This show's a little different, but I have stopped drinking coffee. So I should <laughs> I should oh, come bro. back down to earth here shortly. Um, but I still think J.J. Abrams, where, where I really, um, where he really caught my attention and I didn't know necessarily why I liked it so much, but his open to the reboot of Star Trek, where we have a young um, Captain Kirk's father. Thank you. Oh, that's Captain Kirk's brother. That's right. Um, driving played the car. By, played by. Um, well, but you get young Captain Kirk. But I, I thought you were talking about the first of the movie. First of the movie, Chris Hemsworth, Thor plays his father. Oh, whoops. And you're talking about the. Okay, I know where you're going. I'm now. sorry. It's been a while since I've seen it. So there's some stuff that happens. And then we have a happens. (laughs) Then we have a young Captain Kirk in a car being chased by a robot cop to um, a a Beastie Boys song called Sabotage. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, he gets a lot of bad press about being this guy that simply retouches on the beats of the films he's watched before. Well, guess what? Just about every film in the history touches on something I just talked about. Yeah. This film that won the golden pickle is basically <laughs> aping on Scorsese's King of Comedy. It's a great movie. That's what you do. You're referential. So these people that say that stuff, shut up. Yeah. I mean, every song that's written, every book at least goes along on something that's been established before. I just think it's, yeah, that and, and I just, it, I don't know why, but 
his way of, of just producing it and it visually to me was right in sync with me with the car flying down the road. And, and you see that it's an older car. So you and I, of course, appreciate that because we're old, but then it's being chased by a robot cop. So that it just establishes and communicates so much. And there's no lines at all for this minute and a half or whatever that this chase is happening. Right. Uh, it's, it's well done, uh, but that's not why we're here today, folks. So yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do. And, and I, I thought the trailer was well done, but again, my, my grumpiness towards trailers is, is getting very extensive. Um, so we'll see how that uh, affects uh, the uh, reception of seeing the movie for the first time. All right. So that's star Wars. Um, uh, news earlier this week. Uh, also, Gears of War Five just dropped uh, to Xbox. Now, I have played every Gears of War, um, but I've never purchased a copy. It's either been a giveaway or something like that. I'm not a big fan of third-person shooters, especially Gears of War Four, where you would go into an area and it would be very narrow. And then the first time you would walk out in an area that was wide, you knew that was going to be your fight. So then you'd fight and kill everybody. And then you would go back into a very narrow lane and have a few monsters along the way. And then you go back into a big area. And it isn't until the end of Gears 4, spoiler alert, that you get to control the big robot and really kick some butt. And Gears Gears of War 4 left me a little empty. But... So the reason why I give the kind listener and Todd all that background is I saw five was coming out and I'm like, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I'm not putting my money there. And then I found out that it's free to the people that have, what is it called? Game pass. Yeah. Game pass on Xbox. So I am currently downloading <laughs> Gears of War five and we'll be playing it. However, and I wish I had my sounders working today, folks, big news deal. Todd has beaten me and has actually already played the game. So congratulations. I think I can try and unlock the Mac. Yeah. Give you a little applause there. Yes. Oh, or actually the kids would be better. There you go. And Todd has played this game before me. (laughs) All right. So, so tell us Todd's what's your first take on gears of war five. So, you know, especially, and I agree with you, the, the, I, I have played all the games. I would have probably purchased it no matter what, but friend of the show and my partner on Men of the Apes, Sean, texted me and said, hey, brother, do you know Gears, is fi- uh, Gears 5 is free with your Game Pass? I was like, no, I didn't. I'll go grab it. Yep. That makes it great. Genius move by uh, Microsoft to give away a game like that. Since it's produced in-house, they yep. look and say, hey, you're already paying us. You're a good customer. Here you go. Well, my God, I'm never going to leave Game Pass if they give me things like that. Yeah. So- Genius move. Genius. That's a triple A. That's a triple A release. And so uh, yep. to the kind of listeners that aren't big video games, uh, video games are kind of com- kind of compared to kind of like sports or pros. Triple A is like meaning it's a big deal. So to get that free. Very cool. So the things I'll take away now, I've, I've not finished the game. When you say I played, I played, you know, probably a fourth of it at this point. Ooh. Here's what I'm going to say about it. You do. It's still that third-person shooters kind of thing. You do have, hey, you have to hunker down for a fight. But here's here's what's pretty cool about the engine itself. It isn't the narrow hallway big thing. It is, it's almost, almost a free world roam type thing because, yeah, you, you got to go speak to somebody. It isn't uh, Red Dead Redemption where you can go do one of 500 different things, but still you can roam around this environment. 
yeah. entirely and gather things for a little robot that's with you and these kind of things that make the world a little more real. You hear, you know, and this is an old trope of games where you hear the other people almost talking about the story. And so it fills in. I think they've done a pretty good job with it in that as well. And so that you're listening, you're gathering things. Then when the fight comes, you already know the environment and you can go duck wherever you want nice. and recover. It's, it, they do a great job. It, it may be for the Xbox one, the most beautiful game though, that's been produced yet. And I did see some, some screenshots on Reddit and basically that's what people are saying is that it is beautiful stunning at points and while you were giving that great uh update and review of your first uh, couple of hours playing i went on to my xbox here in the studio and went to it and it's not only gears uh, of war uh excuse me gears 5 is what they're calling it um that you get free you get the gears 5 ultimate edition pre-order that's a 79 dollar Wow. Price tag on us what I'm downloading right now with that game pass. So that's or the ultimate pass or whatever. So that's great. And you know, the more this goes along with gaming, and I am getting older. I'm I'm 52. I got a teenage kid. I I'm in a band. I have these things that take my my attention from gaming. I love the game. But suddenly when you start adding these things like Game Pass that give me games like this or EA's vault access where I can play the a version of Madden that's only a year old, which seems new to me. This is such a smart way of giving yeah. out the content to people because you're taking things that you're not going to make money on anymore. But for people like me that, Hey, I'll wait a week. I'll wait a year, man. This is awesome. I, I, again, I applaud Microsoft on this move. Really, really smart, but a great game. I, if if you have a 4K TV and 4K TVs are so prevalent right now, turn on the HDR on it because and it takes a little bit of setup at the first where it's mm-hmm. going to ask you, you know, to set your color spectrum. Essentially, it's going to say, "Is this too dark? Is this too light?" So worth it. And some of those cutscenes, it's like, oh my god, the the depth that they got on the thing, it 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 almost looks like you could reach in. Almost, it it's really really pretty. I really like the way that they not only paid attention to the 4K, but gamers like me that are still in black and white televisions, uh, that you know, they, right. there's a setup for that as well. So, if you're like me and are gaming on a tube television from 1973. Uh, they've thought of you too. No, that, I, I'm kidding. Uh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm watching it download right now. So I am super pumped and we'll check that out. So that's uh, Gears of War, or I guess you should say Gears 5, uh, available now for those that have the um, uh, Game Pass, um, Ultimate Game Pass or whatever for Xbox. And uh, I'm sure we'll come back and follow up with a little more talk about how the game is. Okay, so we'll move from video games uh, to an argument that I actually had with a coworker. Um, but I'm I'm older now. I'm wiser, so I'm letting know. There's a great book out there for the kind listener to listen to. It's called The Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I know we don't cuss, but that's the actual name of the book. Um, and so I'm picking my battles. And so we're going to talk about the other big trailer that dropped that I thought was done really well, um, which is uh, the new Breaking Bad film. Um, and I know Todd's madly typing away at IMDb to, to uh, fill in his uh, podcast partner's inability to actually be prepared. Um, but I thought the the I thought the trailer. This was a trailer that I liked because it was simply it wasn't so many cutscenes, but it was simply just a character talking about I'm not going to tell you where Jesse Pinkman is. It is. It is beautifully done it's everything that we've alluded to about trailers don't you, know, you may be showing me part of the film this right. may be something it may be even the very first moment of the film 
but if so, you've constructed it to where it tells me enough to know, hey, if I know Breaking Bad, Jesse Pinkman, oh my God, oh my God, you mean that he was tortured and things were horrible after? Because the last we saw of him, he was so happy to escape. Right. It immediately sets up the pathos of a character that we love who's had so many bad things happen to him has more bad. And I God, Jeff, we, we say this at nauseam. I wish more trailers would be this smart. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think a smart trailer, you know, at least gives the, the viewer a little bit of a tip of the cap, like, Hey, you know, you don't need to see ah funny part. Oh, I pooped my pants and then cut to, you know, gun gunfight or whatever. Um, just just give us a, a, you know, just a little a little piece of something so that we can sit there and try and digest it, digest it. And I can't remember the character's name that's on there, but basically he's being interrogated and they're trying to have him say where Jesse Pinkman is. Um, and that's pretty much it. So it conveys a couple of things, right? Because my getting my uh, I'm now getting a film degree from the. Uh, uh, Todd School of Film uh, and Science. I don't know where the science part came in, but anyway, it's it's uh, Todd School of Film and Science. Um, it's pretty expensive. Uh, you guys might want to email Todd, Todd at the uh, otherkindradio.com. He can tell you tuition fees to get your own personal uh, uh, degree in, in art and science. Anyway, whew, that bit took, took too long. Uh, <laughs> but as you've educated me, it conveys a few things without just saying, coming this fall a guy and a dog go to a train and then you see it all. You know that they're looking for Jesse so that we know that he's missing. He's disappeared. We know that there are people. Uh, it also gives a sense of urgency because that means there's some bad things that are hit, coming his way. And that I'm okay with just that little bit of information. You yeah. know, don't tell me everything. I, as we were, you were saying that I started thinking, man, how could you apply this to other films? And I thought even a star Wars film could have this, you know, the only thing you would need to acknowledge that it's not just a normal science fiction film and it's a Star Wars film, you could have a science fiction setting, a little bit of a story is, is this person, let's use Ray from the new films. Yeah. She's a little uh, desert waif who's out collecting stuff and suddenly she turns on a lightsaber in her trailer and you're like, yep. oh my God, it's Star Wars. Yep. That's and it. And you told me nothing about it. And I don't need to know anything else. You could do little character vignettes for every character right. like that and build upon the lore more than telling the story right okay and we go with audiences and we promise we will do a trailer talk show i'm 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 gonna we're gonna we're gonna put that in the parking lot we're gonna put a pin in it uh centrix anyway um so the argument i have with a co-worker was is that movie coming out in theaters and she was convinced it was and i decided not to argue with her however i know for a fact it's not going to be in theaters it's just going to be released on netflix um, I think what on the, tw when is it coming out? The, is it October? Yeah, it is. And I'm trying to find the date, but it's not right in front of me. That's all right. Uh, kind listeners have interweb access, but, uh, we are excited to see that. I thought it was a very well done trailer and, um, am encouraged. I and mean, we're going to have, we're going to be, it's going to be a busy fall for you and I to catch up with all this stuff before we move on to just kind of an overview of what's coming out with Netflix in this fall season. Um, cause there's a couple notes I want to hit in there. And before we go to center stage and talk about Mindhunters, I do want to tell you, I heard an interview with Sasha Barrett Cohen on NPR about his show that's out now available on Netflix, Sounder insert here, and it's called Spy. Todd, have you seen anything about this or watched any of the episodes? I have not watched it. I will admit to having Sasha Baron Cohen tired head. I think he's incredibly talented. I, I, 
he's one of those that the shtick eventually kind of hits me. And I'm like, okay, sure. I can't watch. It. So I saw that hit and I went, I'm just not in a place maybe, maybe a year from now, but. So maybe. it is, it is not a comedy, right? It is a true story uh, about a spy uh, during the 1960s. Um, I would recommend it to you because it is not him doing a bit. Um, it's really, really showing his, uh, ta- his, uh, acting skills. It's well-written and the re- one of the reasons why I want you to watch at least the first episode is, uh, I was watching it on the plane and they're doing some stuff with colors, the way that they're manipulating the colors in the film to give it the 1960s feel. And I'll be yeah. interested to hear your thoughts on that. But again, we got a lot going on, so we'll come back to Spy. But uh, other kind of listeners, I, hi- I highly recommend that. Yes, go ahead. Where, where can we find that again? It's on Netflix. On Netflix. Okay, I'll, I'll give it a watch because, you know, you're right. He He's an immensely talented man. This, uh, he, yeah. Professed my love of musicals. He was in the the film version of Sweeney Todd yeah. playing one of the more operatic characters in it. and did a, He's great. I just get tired of the bits because I'm with you. I don't even think I saw Borat or his, his last couple films. I get it. I, I loved his, uh, Ali G stuff. I thought it was genius, but you're right. I, I got kind of tired, you know, head from it and the old making people uncomfortable with where, you know, his comedy, I get it. But I was, I only watched this because he, he very rarely gives interviews. And of course it was NPR and to learn that it was based on a true story and a true spy, um, I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And it, it held my attention and, and I'm, I'm not through it, but I'm, I'm deep into it. And I think it's very well done. I think there's some, some dialogue and then some, also some cinematography, uh, and that I think you would, you would appreciate. And again, that's spy on Netflix. And of course we encourage our kind listener to email us at info, the other kind radio.com. If you have any feedback, I'm saying I'm pushing email. I want all the emails, all your emails belong to us. I don't know why I'm using that accent. All right. So let's go through real quick uh the fall schedule um for netflix uh i'm not going to hit everything here because i'm not all of it i'm aware of but feel free to um hit us up if uh, there's something that i've left off this list that you think we should mention bill burr has a new um a new stand-up special that'll be out september 10th um we'll move on down to um Let's look here. I'm looking at Unbelievable. Not really interested in that. Uh, There's a Folsom Prison um, documentary called Los Tigres del Norte at Folsom Prison. It's the 50th anniversary of Johnny Cash's iconic uh, prison performance. So that could be interesting. Um, Two Ferns, the movie. I think this has disaster written all over it. You're you're familiar with two firms with uh, Zach Zach Galifianakis. No, you know it's funny you say yes, I am, but have I watched a lot? No, I haven't either. But basically, it's an awkward. It's a produced awkward, um, right. short talk show. Um, I was showing uh, Sweet Catherine uh, an episode this morning, and you can tell it's produced because in this particular interview, he's interviewing Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt takes out a piece of gum and starts to choose it, put it back, puts it down on the table. Zach picks it up, puts it in his mouth, starts chewing it. Mm. Brad can, Brad communicates that that's his last piece of gum. Zach takes it out of his mouth. Brad puts it back in his mouth. Zach then insults Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt spits the gum, which sticks on Zach's face. And that's, that's the show. So there are some funny moments. There's some funny questions and stuff, but 
again, the reason why it works is it's a, it's a little bite. Boom. Ha, ah, that was funny. No, that wasn't funny. Um, but a film, I think that's going to be long. And that, that sounds like a pass for me. Right. Um, just, no, let's see. Uh, there was one. Go ahead. To, to be fair to everybody, because we teased it earlier, El Camino, October 11th. There you go. October 11th, El Camino. And I'd say the other one that uh, that really, I'm, I guess I'm kind of looking through here. And again, I apologize to the kind listener, not very well produced this week, um, is, of course, the one, uh, The Irishman, which is, I think, is going to be great. And I think that is not only going to be on Netflix, but I think it's going to be released as well in theaters. Well, I think the one thing, to be fair to your coworker, it, no, right now, El Camino is not slated for release. Right. If they begin to realize they have buzz for it and they feel like they want to push it, they might, you might hear that they have selected releases, but you have to understand the Netflix model. They are not going to, sure, they may, if they got a huge film that they're going to put out, they might put it in theaters, but you have to think Breaking Bad is a big property, but Martin Scorsese making The Irishman is even bigger. Right. That's not going to be in theaters. It's only going to be on Netflix. They're not going to release Netflix. I mean, El Camino into theaters. That's just kind of the way they, their, their job is not theaters. It's streaming. Isn't that great? How, why I'm putting my own, my own uh, thoughts on it, but I think it's great that they're kind of turning that industry on its head where if they have something that has huge buzz, then they can go, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll release it in a few select theaters. Whereas normally most films are pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching and then trying to distribute and, you know, so much work to try and get that done. Cause of course a wider release means more money coming in and they've kind of turned that on its head. Yeah. And I think it goes back to the conversation we've had before about how the, the paradigm of releasing media and content into the world is going to change drastically within 10 to 15 years. You, you just don't, people are not consuming in the same way. Sure. Box office results may be up, but ticket prices are also up. So therefore truly the number of tickets being sold as compared to the back to the golden days of gone with the wind are not even close. So eventually you're just going to have this stuff released into the home. And right. I think that's okay. The prestige yeah. of a theater is kind of passe. It really is. As much as you and I enjoy it, and we grew up in a time where going to the theaters was a different experience, uh, watching at home or watching it on my iPad or whatever, to me is sometimes a uh, better experience. I know John Wick 3 is, you know, come out and everything. So I picked up the uh, collection on um, an Apple store and I'm watching the first movie. I haven't seen it in a while. And boy, there's some great things about that. And that we could almost have John Wick talk, but I'm enjoying watching that movie again because I think it's really, uh, really well done. And to watch it, be able to watch it uh, on my iPad, you know, I'm okay with that. Sometimes you don't need that huge screen. You just hold your iPad really close to your face and boom, it's IMAX. Try it, folks. Um, but again, I quickly, uh, what do you call minimalize? I minimalize. I'm the minimalist. Reductionist. Reductionist. There's my television show. You think you're cool? Then you haven't met the reductionist. <laughs> you're just a pile of bones in a, in a suit. Ooh, I'll be from the South. That'll be great. Okay. <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. Um, so there's your Joker trailer talk, Star Wars, Gears of War, Breaking Bad, and Spy, and then um, kind of giving a Netflix fall season uh, overlook. But to center stage this year, uh, to, on today's show this year, good Lord. See, the, coffee, the coffees weren't wearing off. What were you going to say? No, I said it may be this year. I was, I was kind of hitting on the same thing. It kind of feels like it's been a year since we've done this, so maybe we have to uh, encapsulate a year right now. Right. Um, on Center Stage, we're going to talk about, it's also available on Netflix, Sounder, and 
again, I, I didn't know I'm on IMDb right now. I didn't know that the first season came out in 2017 and I guess season two just recently dropped. So I, I was unaware of that. I love when this happens, when people make recommendations to me and it takes me a while to get around to them. And then I start watching and it, it really pulled me in and I was so glad to kind of, um, um, experience it that way instead of being anticipate uh, anticipating it being uh, dropped so with the details of what Mindhunter on A- on Amazon good lord on Netflix is all about I'm going to shut my mouth here's Todd who can speak oh god the pressure to speak <laughs> Mindhunter is the David Finch produced directed show from Netflix that resol- revolves around FBI agents Holden Ford and Bill Tinch who along with the psychologist Wendy Carr originate the FBI's behavioral science unit uh, that trains at Quantico Virginia they interview imprisoned serial killers to understand how they think with the hope of applying this knowledge to solve on- ongoing cases now the cool thing about it is, is it's actually based on a book called Mindhunter Inside the FBI's Elite Serial Crime Unit. And it was written by John E. Douglas and Mark Olshaker. I'm, I'm, I hope that pronounced that name correctly. Um, and I actually just this morning started reading this book because I love this show so much. I was like, I, I got to know where this came from. And as the minute you begin reading it, there are platitudes across the board from even people like Jonathan Demme, who directed Silence of the Lambs and mm-hmm. said... Um, the the Jack Crawford character from the the Thomas Harris books is based on Johnny Douglas, who was a man who simply understood, hey, if we start looking at the way these people think, maybe we can predict what they're going to do or who they might be. And this man was involved in the not only understanding things, but in the capture of Wayne Williams from Atlanta, um, uh, the Green River Killer. Uh, a number of these people he helped to actually apprehend because of his thinking. So they went for a fictional approach to it. Instead of just making it Johnny Douglas, they created the characters of Holden Ford and Bill Tinch, who really do stand in for the people who did this. I'm not entirely sure why they decided to go fictional instead of true. It may have been at the author's request. Hey, I don't want you telling my life story. You can tell these components of it. I don't know. But the last thing I'll throw out before I turn it to you and we'll we'll begin with thought. This, this stars a number of people that are the kind of people you might go, I've seen them, I don't know why. Jonathan Groff, who is famous to those of us that love theater from being in Spring Awakening. He was uh, the king in the original production of Hamilton. He's an incredible Broadway performer and he plays Holden Ford. Holt um, McElhaney, who plays Bill Tinch, is one of those character actors you've seen a thousand times and never known why. Right. And Orv, who plays the psychologist, was famous from Fringe. And to the three of them together, it's a beautifully drawn character grouping because none of them truly fit with each other. Yet you begin to see that without each one of them pressing the buttons they don't want pushed, they wouldn't be able to think through the things that they're thinking through. Um, excellent tale of the tip there, uh, tale of the tape there. Um, so I was really, this is one that had a good hook and I am, I love stuff that's, that's, you know, somewhat based on the truth or true characters or true elements. Uh, it wasn't until I was done with the first season before I wanted season two that I, I, uh, heard, um, that, 
a lot of the interview stuff that you're seeing in the show is is actually based on the transcripts of of when they interviewed people like Charles Manson and some of these other uh, killers. And so I like kind of I like that they did such a great job of of including you kind of on the ground floor, literally the basement of the discussion. And this is the FBI, folks. This isn't like, you know, Bob and and Tom sitting around drinking beers. This is the Federal Bureau of Investigation in the 1960s, right? 50s, 60s? Late, late 70s. Late 70s. I was close. I was close. So it's the 80s, right? And, um, no, seriously. But uh, they, so they start talking about, you know, how do you, you this is the old thing, how, you know, how do you catch a squirrel, climb up a tree, act like a nut? Um, how do you catch a fox? Think like a fox. How do you catch some of these people that are doing these out just horrendous, horrendous crimes? Yeah. And it's great to have somebody to think, you know, have, have taken that alternate per- perception or look at it and said, Hey, maybe we need to talk to the people that we already have locked up to get a general idea, a profile. And you even get to witness when they come up because they, they didn't call them serial killers. They call them something else. Sequence killers, sequence killers, you know, and so you get to see that discussion, which is interesting as well. First season uh, had me ready for more. Uh, I thought it was well done. I thought they mixed in not only some character development um, well with the interviews, um, uh, it had had me going. Second season, no, let's get your your first thought on on season one too. Season one. I'm going to, to tell that I'm going to step back and say, David Fincher again is associated with this. This right. is the director that gave us fight club, Zodiac, the social network, girl with the dragon tattoo and gone girl, very good pedigree and understands what he understands is to keep things from being sensationalistic. You simply apply characters to situations that make them uncomfortable and let them deal with it. I thought that across the board for season one, the genius of this show is this you don't see the crimes. Right. You might visit somewhere after the crime. The terrifying element of this is that we, because now we've been in those interviews and we understand the way they begin to think, we begin to think like those people when we're in the, the crime area. We begin to think it. And it's terrifying because our brain goes there with us. Right. And I, so I thought season one, outstanding across the board. I think you can probably point at things and go, why do we have to worry about... Uh, Holden's girlfriend. Well, it, it brings something to him that he's losing his life because of a, you know, yeah. he's got a girlfriend. He's paying more attention to these serial killers. It really has something to say. I, I impeccable. I thought, uh, first of all, uh, oh, great. Good. Wait for you. Uh, Cause uh, Jeff didn't plug in the laptop. Let's give you uh, uh, some applause there for the, uh, that's a great summary because they uh, they are borrowing, maybe not intentionally, from your favorite director, Steven Spielberg and Jaws, and that you very rarely, the fear is not created by seeing the shark, but but, but the music and ambiance that goes along with the shots of, of knowing that the shark's out there. And that's, I didn't know why, but you explained it brilliantly there as far as why I liked it so much. Because again, we didn't see the crimes. We didn't get the, the dramatic music and the, and the screaming and all that stuff. But like you said, by sitting in the room in these interviews with these people that did these horrible things, and then you're able to comprehend it because then if you're not able to do and show and, and convey through the the camera and audio that that's what you're trying to do. Then it just becomes kind of a goofy, weird uh, documentary. 
So well said on that. Um, and yeah, I mean, season one, I was, I was like, here we go. I'm like, where has this been? Here we go. And then we get into season two. Um, please tell me your thoughts on season two. I can already tell you, you and I differ because I think it's, it's as good as season one. Okay. I think that what the show does smartly is it strips away certain safety nets the characters had before. I think that especially having in read just the first little bit of the actual book, you find out that uh, Mr. Douglas, the, the main person behind the whole thing, almost died because of this job because he became so obsessed with things and wasn't taking care of himself. And he was supposed to speak one morning and uh, called and said, I can't do it. His, his cohorts, a couple of days, like the next day were like, uh, we never saw him. They went and banged on his door. He's not answering. They find him curled next to the floor, floor he has encephalitis. 107 degree fever to the point that Ooh. they believe he was brain damaged. Um, luckily he pulled through it, but he, he even said this job is not one that you can escape. And he said, because in his fever dreams, he believed he was being tortured by a serial killer and they were doing, and I won't say it here on the podcast, but in the book, he mentions the people in his fever dreams were doing awful things to his body. And it was because that that had consumed him right. it consumed him to the point that with his, he had two little girls that if he was out in the woods with them, he began to have flash of, of his little girls being found in the woods as he had seen other things. Or when his wife called and said, when the girls fell off her bike and had to have stitches, he would imagine the children from the murders who the uh, coroners had to stitch up like horrifically just to allow them to be buried. Right. So I, I thought that the season, what I think is smart about it is I think it changes the tone just ever so slightly. It keeps it true. Um, it introduces new characters without making them characters that are there for just to spice it up. The story evolves. Um, it introduces Michael Cerveris as their new boss and Michael Cerveris, another great Broadway oh. veteran. And I, I just adore him. I think he's a great actor. So he, he plays their boss to a T. I do like that character. It, it is, he, he is, you can tell when they introduce his character, there's a reason why he's running that department or going to be in charge of those people. Cause that, that cat is smart. He's smart. He knows how to play every side of the fence. And you find out pretty quickly, he's doing exactly that. You think he's had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. Oh no, he's had that with everybody. He knows that if I cast enough lures, I'm going to catch a fish. And I, I think the introduction of that, while it both bolsters their opinion that, hey, we've got somebody on our side, it's also that this is still very touchy work. Um, I, I think, you know, I think the only thing that that I didn't care for in season two as much is that it does become very focused on the Atlanta murders of the early 80s. And it does become a bit of a procedural. However. That's fact that is based upon what this Johnny Douglas actually went through that at the very beginning of it, they began to say, we've got to figure out who this guy is. And he went and applied it. So while we may think that, Oh, this is what happened. A, a story evolves and it does change and it begins he's created this stuff. So they turn to him and let him help them catch the person. Now, you know how a lot of this works. And so I'm going to bounce something off you here and you just tell me how, how realistic my, my, my theory is. I think with season one, they did gave it all. It obviously was done in 2017. And I think they, they wrote it. Obviously there was a bit of a cliffhanger at the end. You have to do that in case you get picked up again, but it felt very tight and it felt very, um, 
focused in, in, in like every episode you walked away and you're like, okay, I get what they were doing. I feel like with season two, they didn't know if they were going to have season three and didn't find out they were going to have season three until about halfway of the filming of season two. Because I felt like, just like you said, that one investigation does meander a bit. There is all you spend, see, because I feel like with season one, you spend a lot more time in front of the, the killers in the interview room. And then season two, you're, you're meandering through that main investigation and you, then you spend a lot of time in their personal lives. And I get it. We're, we're telling a story here. We're talking about characters based on real people and, and what happens when you become successful in a, in a, in a science that doesn't even exist. Behavioral science, you know, was so new back then it was kind of a foe and you can even pick up certain parts of the show when the other professionals are giggling, like, well, what is it again? You do, you do this thing where you pretend like, you know, you're the killer and you try and find him. Oh, that's cute. Um, but I felt like it was much more meandering and I feel like like halfway through season two or two thirds the way through season two, they were like, Oh, Oh, oh we're getting, the, we're getting the next season. And then they were able to kind of refocus up and then, and write it. Might not be exactly what happened, but that's kind of my review and interpretation. I'm wondering if it strikes any kind of chord with you or if I'm just, if I'm just uh, dumb. <laughs> I, you're never dumb. You know that. You've um, been struck by the reductionist. I think what you're going to have to look at the truth of why it took so long is David Fincher is notorious for his detail. And if you actually go listen to some of the interviews with the cast, they'll even say, be prepared to do a lot of takes, be prepared that it's very analytical. And so I think that what Fincher thought was, okay, let's make sure that what they probably did look at was where we, how are we going to do this story? We need to do all these things, but he wanted, he meticulously wanted to go along and say, let's map this out. I don't think the delay was because Oh, what are we going to do? I don't okay. think that's it at all. And I don't, I don't sense that by watching it. Can I see that the tone changes? Yeah. We also get into an investigation with one of the agents that his son gets involved in an incident. And that incident I was just reading up is actually based on a real case. Not that these men had anything to do with it, but they decided to introduce it. And I think, I think the reason that's even introduced is to take probably the most skeptical of the, the main character's that is, you know, slightly resistant to the methods and ideology of gathering this data and introduce him to the real world that, you know what, sometimes there's things that you need to look at deeper. So I think that that's an, I think it's an important introduction. I, I don't find it meandering. Um, I find it fascinating about the Atlanta murders because, you know, that's the era when we grew up, Jeff. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember those, but I definitely yeah. remember that. Um, so I find it fascinating I, I, I'm I'm trying to think of some way to explain away why you thought the meandering thing and it really consumed you so much. I didn't I didn't find that fault in it. You know that's that's the great thing and and one of the compliments we've received um, when I talk to to kind listeners is you know I, for me you know I'm just such gut gut and feel kind of kind of go and that's why I asked you that question because that's the way I felt and like you said yeah that's definitely not what happened they definitely had a plan. But, you know, as you're watching, I only have my own perception and experience when I'm watching the show. And while you and I share a lot of similarities in some of the things that we agree upon, one of the great things about why we even do this podcast is because I can, you're one of the few people I can be honest with. I will tell you honestly how I feel. Now, a lot of the time you do your Jedi mind trick and talk me out of it, but <laughs> um, I feel comfortable sharing with you. And sometimes it shows my own uh, inability and uh, to understand film or what the director is trying to do, case in point. 
that one movie that uh, it wasn't Casablanca. It was uh, Rosebud. It was uh, Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. you know, and that turned around and I ended up learning a lot from that and I'm ready to watch it again soon. But I just, you know, being honest with you, I, that's what I felt. I just, I'm like, we're spending, we're spending way so much time on this and it could be being older and just wanting to get to the point since I am the reductionist and just felt like, you know, there were some, just some points that I'm like, okay, we spent a lot of time on this. You know, I understand you're trying to convey that these brave men and women were sitting out in cars by bridges in, in Atlanta in the heat and the mosquito bites and everything. But I just felt like they were, you know, what was the, what was the quote in Amadeus? Too many notes. It's just <laughs> too many shots for me of people slapping there. And yes, I get it's hot. I get it that it's boring, you know, but I just think that that was a sustained note that was just held a little too long. I think for me, you just helped me understand why you feel this way. I think that the first season, you know, and, and I actually just watched it again with my daughter, Abby. Mm-hmm. And who, by the way, I don't know if I've, I've even told you this is really leaning towards, she's two years from college. She's really leaning towards studying uh, forensic psychology. Ooh. She really is interested in my family's, you know, the three of us, we are all very interested in true crime. Yeah. Scares me, of course, as a 16 year old, but at the same time, she's, <laughs> my dad's a psychologist. So she's around both sides of it. And she's like, I really think I want to help understand these people. And I said, great, great. Go field for to it. To kill it. Um, and then you're afraid she'll walk up to you one day and be like, dad. I know what you did. <laughs> yeah, well, she already knows that. I, I, I'm completely transparent. Uh, I did tell her, hey, if you ever get that, you know, you got to come home and tell me about the cases. Dad, you know, if I work for the FBI, yeah. I won't be able to. And I said, I'm your father. You tell me everything. Right. Exactly. Uh, but I think you, you, by drawing that circle around everything, explained to me what you were lacking in the second season. And I think it may have been that throughput narrative of interviews with the serial killers. Cause we don't get as many this right. year. We get, a, we get a very significant one. Yes. And I'm not going to spoil that for the, the, the kind listener. We get a big one. Yeah. But this time around, it's more of, Oh, we've got this information. Let's apply it. And I think that when you do a story, you have to, you have to change it. It's the reason that going from Star Wars to Empire Strikes Back, very tonally different. It's not as gee whiz, let's go save the princess. It's a little darker. You're going to confront the things you might be afraid of. Right. This story said, I can't just go interview more serial killers. Yes, we're going to, because that's what they did but we're going to now apply it. And I think next year you may even see that it, instead of it being application, application is still a part of it. So interview and application may be, but the next one may be teaching. Yeah. You may see more of that. And I think that may be what you were missing is you wanted a few more of those. Exactly. Engrossing moments of talking to a killer. And, 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 and I think that's a very, very, very fair assessment. The, the other reason why I didn't like season two as much is the guy that is the director's nephew or whatever or son the throwaway character you know the 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 milk toast guy that ends up ratting them out uh and we're not giving away too much uh kind listener i'm trying to stay as far away and be as uh randomly specific as i can uh you know who i'm talking about right remember the okay i mean they spend all the time and do all this other great development with all the other characters and that guy's that guy's oh he's such dead weight yeah, but you're always going to have a character like that. You're going to have an underdeveloped character. And, and I, I don't disagree. It would be nice if you saw even a phone conversation with someone in his life or to know what he does in his private time. And that does happen when you develop characters, personal lives. Eventually you're going to look and say, I wish I knew more about him. <laughs> However, we all have somebody at work like that. Yeah. That 
no one really knows anything about. They're kind of the loner. They're kind of this individual that doesn't, that we don't know what their full right. contribution is. I, yeah, I don't disagree with you. I do agree with you. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Um, do we have any information on um, season three? No, um, I did get information while we were thinking through this just to support the idea of David Fincher taking his time. He was also the executive producer of House of Cards and directed the first episode, one other, I believe. And those seasons would often not come out just year to year. They would have a long development. He's, He's pretty dang meticulous. Now, I will say this too. If you enjoy the show, go watch his film of Zodiac because it literally fits right into this world. It feels like the same place. That's John Diego Zamo and Mark Ruffalo. uh, What is his name? Um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Jake Gyllenhaal. Great movie. I'll go, I'll go check that out again. Cause you you saying that just reminded me of something. One thing that I like in, in tip of the cap to the casting and uh, the casting agency, I guess, or whatever. They did such a great job of getting people that really um, um, looked like, and of course they had some tapes and stuff to study off, but I was surprised, you know, because some of the killers, not everybody's in, I mean, you made, I didn't know who all the killers were. I knew some of the big, big hitters, but they really do look like them. And they got some actors that, that, so to find somebody, it's easy to find somebody that looks like somebody, but to find somebody that looks like somebody that can act like that person, that's a whole, that's a wider gate there to, to cross. So, uh, the guy that plays Ed Kimber, especially, I mean, which one was that Ed? Was that the big guy? The big guy that in true life, he was six foot nine. Oh, and the best they could do for the show is got finally got a six foot seven. Still, um, you know, and, and so two inches off, but still, the true guy was a, he was a big dude. I want to say close to three hundred pounds, and that actor. Oof. If you ever watched the real Ed Kemper interviews, have you done any of that? No, no, no. Oh, good lord, chilling. Now he's a little bit thinner in the face. He's still, you know, obviously pound for pound with him, but that very slow spoken way. Yes. You know, it's like oh god. And this actor pulls off beautifully. I think that the same, you know, this year we get, um, I'll, I'll throw it out, we get David Berkowitz. I did read that they did apply, apply some prosthetics to give the actor sure. a little bit oh, okay. of a jolly look. But his face, when you look at him, you're like, oh, he's a skinnier version of David Berkowitz. So they just gave him a little bit of plumpness to the cheeks. But you're right. They, they both find the look and somebody that can pull off the persona. Yeah. Beautiful. And you said it was Kemper was the big guy, right? Yes, it is. Uh, just how he has the same intonation when talking about pizza as he does what he did to these horrible people. Uh, or not, not, I'm sorry, what he, the horrible things he did to people. Oh, good Lord. But you know what I meant. God. <laughs> I'm sorry, kind of listeners. I mean, yeah. Confessions of a serial killer right, right now. Right, exactly. Um, I thought was was really well done. Uh, all right, so let's let's wrap it up. Um uh, mine's a definite check it out go see it enjoy it don't you know enjoy season two be be a todd don't be a jeff right, i think that may need to be our t-shirts <laughs> i think so <laughs> and yours is definitely a, a big uh check mark as well right a big thumbs up i i think the direction i think the writing the performances across board. Now I will say again with Jonathan Groff and Michael Cerverus being Broadway vets, I really hope they have a musical episode at some point, which I think would be great, but they won't. 
Yeah, and speaking of which, now you made me think the, the way the music is used and tied into the series is so well done as well. Oh, yeah. In, hey, everything, the, the production design, yeah. they nail that era. Uh, my daughter loves to stop and go, do they really drive cars like this? So you're looking at late era 70s cars, but into the 80s, you know, yeah, they were big, long, square, rectangular, ugly pieces of crap. It's great. I, I just drink up that show. And we're about to start season two for she and my wife. And man, I can't wait to watch yeah, it again. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So that's uh, that's Sailor Kind Radio. Todd and Jeff's take on Netflix's Mindhunter. First season came out in 2017. Second season just dropped. So if you've not heard about it, if you were if you were like, be a Jeff, not a not a not a Todd. If you didn't know anything about it, uh, highly recommend it. And thank you to Chris, also AKA Tree. I haven't come up with a nickname for you necessarily yet, but uh, thank you for the recommendation. Uh, well worth it, and uh, turned into a, a, a main a center stage focus here on the. The other kind radio um that's going to do it for the show but i want to i want to throw it to todd of course you have any gigs coming up you want to plug or anything else that's uh going on you know I'm, I'm i haven't done this in a while but the uh the guy that i wrote the book with he and i oh, yeah. striving to find ways to get out there and there's i i came i became aware of a uh, an app and a site called whatpad and I became aware of it through my daughter. And then some, subsequently, I'm reading about these authors that got deals through Netflix by publishing these things there and that they're Ooh. finding it. Basically, you put your book there, you give it for free, you let the community read it and talk about it. So uh, my book, The Risen, is now out there. You know, if anyone wants to go read it, hey, it's free. Now, we only publish a few chapters at a time. That's what they ask you to do, you know, sort of like a serial. But every week we're going to put one or two more chapters out there and it'll be out within a few weeks. The whole thing will be out there. So if you like reads, if you like dystopian type things, go read it. I Check out the good. raisin. Yeah. I'd, I'd love a little support there. So is it like just one raisin or are there like a. <laughs> no, it's like the California raisins, Jeff. <laughs> Risen. And education yes. is. And that's the point of today's show, folks. And education is important. Don't be, be a Todd. Don't be a <laughs> <laughs> might catch on anything else you got any uh, gigs coming up or anything we played last night you know i i'll admit that you took me from being completely tired head to at least where i feel like i'm alive in the world again oh. you know, i didn't get home till one and then the dog got me up at 650 so we you know we got a, a couple of private parties coming up um Ooh. I, it would hey that's the cool thing that's when you make money yeah um, but uh, you know, I, that's the lovely okay. thing about leaving and I'm constantly working and trying for more. If you want to find out where we're playing, just go to DBBX dive bar boom box. You can actually put that into the dive bar boom box.com. And, uh, that has our full schedule on there. So come out and see us. You can. Cool. All right, Todd, thank you for a, uh, a wonderful episode. I think I may have found a way to close the show. So I'm going to try that now. Uh, again, big thank you to Todd, his time. I didn't know you got home at 1am. You're a better man than me as far as getting up and doing the show. So thank you for doing that. Um, the other kind of radio is a pop culture podcast and you've been with us for an hour and 10 minutes. So if you've made it this long, I've saved a little tidbit for you at the end. We uh, always like looking at our uh, statistics as far as listenership, and I just want to say uh, a shout out to some new players. Uh, obviously, we've had Canada, Australia, 
Listenership from the Philippines, Japan, and New Zealand have joined the map. I should get a big map and put the pens on it. So welcome to those countries. Feel free to email us. Uh, again, it's Jeff at theotherkindradio.com or Todd at theotherkindradio.com or info at theotherkindradio.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. There's a huge lineup of film and pop culture that's going to be hitting us this, this fall. And The Other Kind Radio is, is committed and going to be here to walk you through that. We are your guides when it comes to pop culture. Uh, once again, shout out to Commander Arf. Thank you so much for your uh, your teleportation to uh, uh, now I can't remember the name of the, the, the tram and all those fine folks. Thank you for uh, being hospitable and now fans of The Other Kind Radio. We'll see you next week. Please remember, we are The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio. The other kind of radio. The other kind of radio.